0: In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Maximum freedom. Read.
2: Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And tonight we have a special guest, so I'm not gonna want to waste too much time before we get into the meat of this one. But we are gonna be talking about dances with wolves. This is episode one oh two of the show. You can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com one oh two. Say hello to Robert real quick before we get into the main portion of the show and introduce our special guest.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back. Glad to be here. Should be a good one. A lot I, of meat in this movie. A lot of a lot- meat
1: lot of meat and we got a guy who uh knows how to handle how to handle that meat, I think, uh phrasing. Aye, aye. I I oof. All right. Well let's get into the last sports of the show and uh that will be coming right about now. Hey, everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, the Last Nighters, and this show can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your in your direction. This is episode number 45 of the show. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 45 tonight. We have a special guest, Mance Rayder, Freeman, Beyond the Wall, is joining us to talk about a movie that uh, was actually uh, a pick of yours, right? Is, is that right,
2: Mance? Dances with Wolves? Yeah, I think that was my suggestion.
1: Yeah, and uh, I watched the four-hour cut. sure which. Oh, excellent. Excellent. I, I I'm curious if Robert, if you watch the other one, if, uh, Oh, hell no. I mean, yes. Oh, hell yes. I mean, I mean, whatever <laughs> the shorter version was, I watched that. All right. All right. So it'll be interesting to see if there's like some, um, bonus material from the longer one that you didn't see and, and, and uh, might be worth talking about, uh, before we get into the show and into the Google description where we usually start out, I just want to give a, a shout out to a new Patreon person. Uh, he goes by, uh, and this is explicit, everyone, the professional asshole. And so he's getting all sorts of bonus material. He can watch us record this live. He also gets behind the scenes and, and other bonuses. If you want to get in on that action as well, you can hit us up at lastnighters.com slash Patreon. So with that out of the way uh, and very much uh big thanks to you, professional asshole, uh, we will get into the Google description for Dances with Wolves. Came out in 1990. It's a drama slash epic Western. And the long cut is three hours and 56 minutes. I think the uh, theatrical release when it originally came out was closer to three, three, three 30, hours. 3.01. Yeah. Three, oh, one. All right. Perfect. So this got uh, 8 out of 10 on the IMDb, 82% Rotten Tomatoes, 72% Metacritic, and 89% of Google users like it. Here is the description. A Civil War soldier develops a relationship with a band of Lakota Indians. Attracted by the simplicity of their lifestyle, he chooses to leave his former life behind to be with them. Having observed him, they give him the name Dances with Wolves. Soon he is welcome. Soon he's a welcomed member of the tribe and falls in love with a white woman who has been raised in the tribe. Tragedy results when Union soldiers arrive with designs on the land. Came out November 21st, 1990, directed by starring Kevin Costner. Won a couple of Academy Awards, I think seven, uh, after being nominated for 12. It got Best Picture and Best Director for Mr. Costner. Robert, your thoughts on the description, and then we will go to Mance.
0: Yeah, so just quick question for you for our boys. When I was watching it, the version I watched translated, every time they would say Lakota, they would have the translation be Sioux. And then in your description, you just said Lakota. Is Lakota and Sioux, are they synonymous? Or is that just what my version said?
2: My version said Sioux as well.
1: Yeah, mine also, I recall it saying Sioux, but um, it, would say, it would say speaking Lakota. Okay, so they're Sioux people speaking Lakota, that's
2: the language? It, it could be, or it could be the language they
1: used for the movie, because okay. they, they did use... It uh, says
2: here, quick Wikipedia, the Lakota are a Native American tribe, also known as the Teton Sioux. Uh, they are one of three Sioux tribes of the plains. Okay, okay. That, that makes sense. sense. Very good. So yeah, that's essentially the description is accurate, I would
0: say. Um, it's a long-ass movie. It's really slow. It's done in that old style. You could be forgiven. If, if someone had told me, hey, this movie came out in 1970, I'd go, yeah, it looks about right. Mm-hmm. It, doesn't, it doesn't do anything special in terms of the special effects. I and mean, this is pre-CGI, so you're talking about some blood splatter and some prosthetics and that sort of thing. But it's done even in that old style where they're really taking their time. It's really slow. And I don't think if they made this movie today, it would have been like a two-hour movie probably tops. But I didn't even watch the four hour movie, so I don't even know what you guys saw.
1: I could tell you it took me uh, the better part of a week to watch all of that. Uh, it was two major, you know, sessions of, of watching the movie. And I cut um, with about two hours remaining. So they were getting to the buffalo hunt. Uh, Mance, did you make it through the entire four hours um, all in one, one shot?
2: Yes, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. So, you yeah, know, and it has been for you know, as long as I can remember since it came, uh, since it came out. So, um, yeah, I mean, I sat through it, I sat through it all in one shot. I mean, of course I stopped to grab a beer and another beer and another beer and another beer because it's that long, but, um, yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I love the movie. I love the humor. There's so much understated humor in it. Um, even, even amongst the, even amongst the Sioux, uh, there's a, there's a good, bit of humor if you really pay attention there there's a lot of understated humor in it as well. And um I, I think that everybody gave Kostner crap for Waterworld. And I always said that because of this movie and how good it is and just how good the story is, he gets a pass on pretty much anything. I mean, yeah. But I mean he's done he's done good movies since since then too. So but yeah uh...
1: I I I would agree with you. However, my my thought when I was watching this was that this is why he thought he could do Waterworld because it's basically he's just rehashing this movie, but he's trading water for the planes.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a uh, that's an intre- that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, the um, there's a lot of rumors behind Waterworld. They said it was like a hundred fifty million dollar bust, but I heard there were rumors behind the scene that he was. He was going through a divorce at the time, and he was actually using the movie to hide money, so he wouldn't have to, uh, you know, he wouldn't have to give it to his his wife who he was splitting up with. So, these are these are all rumors, but um, stuff that I heard when the movie came out, when the movie was being made. So,
1: wow, that's interesting. Uh, do you think that uh, the Postman, which I think actually did worse than Waterworld, was a uh, just, just that- to make sure. <laughs>
2: I think it was I thought I see. I actually like the postman. I actually think there's some great themes in that. I think there's some good uh, I think I think there's some good uh, messages in that movie, actually.
1: Okay. yeah, that's one I haven't seen in a long time. This I hadn't seen since probably shortly after it came out. Oh, actually, no, I take that back. I went on a trip to Hawaii in 2004 Hmm. and at the um, I got into the hotel room and this was playing on the TV and and I just left it on. So I, I sort of half watched it about,
2: you know, 14 years ago. I mean he's he, I mean he's made some really good movies. I mean I think The Untouchables was a good movie. Um I um Field of Dreams is still one of those guilty pleasures of you know just remember my dad's gone now so you know that whole that whole movie is about you know a guy wanting to please his dad and everything so little heartstrings kind of stuff there. Oh yeah. Yeah, Field of Dreams has a soft spot in my heart just from
0: growing up that was one of my dad's favorite movies and we watched it together quite a bit so I don't even know if I could you know, objectively critique that movie. It would just get a pass no matter what.
2: Bull Durham's another good movie he did. J- JFK for, what you know, for an Oliver Stone movie is a, is a good movie. Wyatt Earp. I mean, the guy the guy's actually done some really good movies, but, you know, people just... A Perfect World is another movie that is really underrated where he plays a really, really bad guy. Um That's I mean,
1: an guy, Eastwood flick, right?
2: Yeah, that's that was one that Eastwood made, and uh, I actually saw that one in the theater. Okay. And, um, yeah. So I mean the guy's made some really, really good movies. He just caught so much crap for Waterworld that, you know, it's like every, every is what Ten Cup, another good movie that yeah, another um um enjoyable movie that he made, you know. So
1: Right. And and let's not forget the bodyguard with Whitney Houston. I mean, that's probably his
2: top movie. <laughs> that's probably you know, you know, that may be the biggest box office movie he ever did, and I've never seen, <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen it. Just have no interest whatsoever in that at all. <laughs> oh, I had a number one
1: song too, right? Whitney Houston, yeah,
2: unfortunately. Uh. Yeah,
1: well, uh, why don't we start talking about the movie in and of itself and just kind of set the scene a little bit? The opening is kind of interesting because he's been injured in battle in the uh Civil War, or the War of Northern Aggression, as I like to refer to it as, and because so many people are injured and the surgeons there are overworked and underappreciated and all that stuff. They say, you know what, we're going to have to take this guy's leg off, but let's go, you know, get some rest first because he'll still be here. And realizing that he's at risk of losing his leg, he would rather die. So he basically does, you know, suicide by cop or suicide by enemy soldier and charges uh, and rides out in front of the uh, Confederates. And I thought that that was pretty interesting because you know he's trying to get killed but these guys must be you know freaking stormtroopers or something cuz they can't hit him. He he's goes, got plot armor. He's got plot armor, but you know this this is a callback to uh you know the Star Wars universe I think a little bit. Uh but as a result of that the type of uh you know muzzle loader uh fire, firearms they had th- they would shoot and have to reload and it would take you know a good minute or so and they would shoot again and while they're shooting at him for sport they're all distracted and then the uh, union guys charge and uh break their line and the confederate guys have to retreat so hero guy now gets his leg saved by the uh the, the general's surgeon because he's he's gone out and done something amazing so you guys have any thoughts on that with the you know the the he'd rather die than live without a leg and how does he well I guess, how does he stay a lieutenant after being this huge hero, right? So I'll go to uh, Robert. Well, I just think it's
0: interesting that the general, you know, evaluates him from his own perspective. Like, this guy's an amazing man that we need to save because he's so brave. Not that that was a suicidal crazy man attack that was clearly, he's lost his mind. So I don't know. I don't know how he stays a lieutenant. I don't know how he says, I want to go out to the frontier as a... Thank you. And then I don't know how the guy, when he gets to the frontier, the guy in charge there immediately kills himself for some reason because he's a crazy
1: person or he's had enough. Who knows? Yeah, he's got that king king complex or something. So
0: There's a lot of suicide going on at the beginning of the movie.
2: What I saw was whenever you saw interaction with the soldiers, it, it just... It seemed to me like Costner in making the movie wanted people to believe that you know war is hell and that it's not worth it. I mean you you see a you see a commander killing himself and you know really really having a complex. You see right before he takes off uh, on his little suicide mission all of the soldiers there are just desk you know just they don't care their commanding officers pacing back and forth seems to be in a daze and you know by him riding out all of a sudden magically you know these guys wake up and they decide to charge um it didn't seem really that didn't that part didn't seem really realistic to me i think it was just really setting up the uh the message, the message later about the U.S. government, you know, that, that we would, you know, that we'll see when we examine later in the movie, just how you know, just showing war as hell. And to me, it was just showing war as hell and the government is just use is just useless. I mean I didn't see anything other than I didn't see th- there's no real pro government um, message in this movie at all and, and you yeah. know it's funny is Thaddeus Russell uh, put out on Twitter about a month and a half ago uh, name me a movie he said name a movie the, the last movie you saw that made the uh, the US military into the bad guy and I couldn't and and this is the movie you know this <laughs> this this is the movie because I mean I could barely think of I was thinking like maybe Transformers or something like that but um, this is this is clearly a movie that uh, turns the the military the US military into the bad guy
1: you know there's one that tops this and that's uh, the outlaw Josie Wales which we did a few <laughs> few months ago and man
2: it's <laughs> a great movie man. it makes the the uh, Union soldiers pretty 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 bad yeah, I went on a western kick uh, a few years ago and I just was like just watching as many westerns as I could and everything and that was that's always one of the top ones I mean just such a oh yeah yeah it does not paint the military well at all. Yeah. Stuff.
1: Yeah, and and to your point, you know, with their commanding officer not being sure what to do and the generals being on the the hill looking down like it's almost like that bureaucratic like we got to do something, anything. We got to do something, but he doesn't know what to do and there's like no real feedback mechanism. You know, there's it's, it's not a market situation. It's it's a bureaucratic situation. And so, uh when Costner rides out, he
2: he breaks them out of that kind of I guess the days of not really being clear on what to do. Yeah. It's almost like, um, you know, they're not going mean, to even though he's lieutenant, they're not really following the I uh, don't care what the generals have to say. They're just looking for any kind of inspiration at that point, I guess. And, you know, they found it in what he did. You know, I and mean, I guess I guess that maybe that makes sense. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and then just to um right on the back of uh, what you were just saying, where it doesn't paint the uh, army in a good light or the union in, the, in a good light, the guys who are actually at Fort Sedgwick, I think is what it's called, uh, end up abandoning the post because they haven't been um, being replenished. And I think that they had some kind of like cabin fever thing going on where they were going a little crazy. It's not really clear because when Costner gets there, they've murdered all these, you know, shot all these animals and just left them to rot in the in the pond. And they've been living in the hillside and all this stuff. But they 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 say quote, I think uh, the army can go to hell and then they
2: they leave. Do you think that is because they were coming under constant attack from the Indians possibly? I mean, they don't they don't allude to that. But I was I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess they could have got cabin fever. But, you know, Costner wasn't getting cabin fever and he was by himself. It was, you know, if they're all and they're, you know, they're hiding in these caves. Which which is the first thing that led me to believe, you know, they may have not so much maybe from the Sioux, but maybe from the Pawnee, they, they mm. may have been coming under attack. So maybe more of a defensive position. Correct. Yeah. OK, that's what I, that's, that's, that's what I thought. Okay, can we go back? Can we go back to the the crazy son of a bitch who shoots himself?
1: Yeah. Pissed his pants and uh, says to your
2: journey, to my journey. Yeah, let's go back to him. There was something K- costner said to him that I wanted to get your guys' opinion on. Uh he asked him why he asked him why he wanted to go there and he said, I want to see the frontier before it's gone. What do you think his message was in saying that?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um hey. I, I don't know if that's just an answer he's saying or if that's the the truth of it. I like to think of Costner, you know, leaving the war behind him because the war was just so horrific. He just wanted to get away, just as far away from all of that as he possibly could. But you know, they're also dealing with the time at which the settlers were coming, and he foresaw perhaps that you know the world was changing, and that's ultimately at the heart of this movie. Is is the whole the settlement of the West. And, uh, that's the, the main thing that I wa- really do want to discuss. Hopefully we get a big, big chunk of time to talk about because that man, that's, that's the real meat and potatoes that I see is, is the white man coming West and this, this misunderstanding, or at least this clash of cultures where the, the, the Europeans have this understanding of property rights and land ownership and these Lakota, the, I mean, they're a nomadic people, so they don't necessarily, you know, fence off their land and like, this is ours, this is yours. And they're constantly squabbling with their neighbors and everybody else. And there's constantly misunderstandings and wars being happening. And it seems to be it's all misunderstandings and, mis- you know, not c- having a clear understanding of who has what and who owns what. And, you know, there's this saying that good fences make good neighbors. And if if the Lakota had just put up some fences but I can understand how they wouldn't have done that with not really realizing or understanding this idea of property ownership. They understand what, you know, owning possessions, like there's per-
1: a, personal items, Robert,
0: there's personal items. They, they clearly, you know, they, have they talk to, about they have the to trade to. throughout the movie and they understand self ownership. There's a line where, you know, no man can tell another man what to do. I like that line. Yeah, yeah it's a really good line. So, um, but I, to go back to what you guys were saying and I, don't want to diverge too much, but when you guys were talking about the um, the guys living in holes at the Fort Sedgwick, that was cut out of my three-hour movie. But I remembered it from watching the four-hour movie in the past, but I didn't miss it this time around.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But now that you mention it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there were soldiers in those holes.
1: Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's interesting that I I can see that being um, cuttable uh, because it doesn't really pertain to the main portion of the story. It sort of left a mystery, I think, as to why they were doing it. You know, we're speculating. And Mance, I think you had some good ideas on why they might be doing that. Um, But to go back to your question about the message that Costner had for the major about seeing the frontier before it's gone. I almost feel like that was a intentional message put in this movie to hit on a cultural topic or perhaps try to drive culture. I know this is like late eighties, early nineties, like 1990, I think is when it first came out. Uh, But that was around the time we're hearing about um, ozone depletion and uh, like the spotted owl and all that stuff, and I feel like maybe that was his watermelon message, you know, the uh, the, the green environmentalist message, because I, I see a thread of that throughout the entire movie, and and probably another deleted scene, um, Robert, you might not remember this one, but towards the end, um, Costner and Kicking Bird go towards the mountains uh, to, I guess, scope it out because they're going to go there for winter. And they come upon a cabin of white settlers who have just trashed the place, you know, just littering everywhere and and killing all these animals and just leaving all this stuff out. And every time I saw something like that, uh, I kept thinking, oh, yeah, they're just pounding that message home like, oh, they just don't respect anything. These white people are terrible and they're just trashing everything and destroying nature.
0: Yeah, that was cut out of my three-hour cut. I remembered it now that you mentioned it from the four-hour cut. The only scene that we get as, you know, white people bad, besides the soldiers at the end, is the, uh, the buffalo hunt and all the dead buffalo, skinned buffalo out and on the, the prairie. The meat, and dis- then, rotting, yeah. and the meat is rotting, yeah. The meat is rotting, yeah. I can understand that as being a waste. Like, there's a lot of good meat that would go to waste, but I don't know. It, it sure seemed like, at that point, I think there was a quote... From yeah, it was I forget who says it, but here's just the quote. It's like it was done by a people without value and soul, with no understanding of Sioux rights. I mean, because somebody hunts a buffalo and only wants the skin, are you going to really say that that person has no value and no soul? I think that's pretty harsh. I mean, clearly there's there's somebody they they value just the pelts. They had only had the ability to you know take the pelts back. Uh, there's a market for the pelts where there's not as much market for the meat. I I think you're
2: putting your values on another people there and making a value judgment. I don't think it has anything to do with value. I think it has to do with survival. I mean, their survival depended on the Buffalo on the pelts on the meat. Um, Yeah. He makes the one, he makes the point at one, at one time he says um, we had all the meat that we could carry, um, which lets me, leads me to believe that, you know, this is really important. This is really important to their survival. Um, Remember when he's first trying to communicate with them, about Buffalo and they finally figure out and uh, uh kicking bird finally figures out, Oh, he's talking about Buffalo. Um, Costner says a little bit later, I could tell that kicking bird was very distraught because we hadn't seen Buffalo yet. I mean, this wasn't a, I mean, even though they treat it as something spiritual, it's almost like a part of their, you know, what, what we would term religion. It's their survival. So I think at that point, what he is saying is that, um, you know, anyone who would relies on the whole buffalo or at least you know most of the buffalo for their very survival just to take this uh just to take the the pelt and let you know let the rest of it rot is you know pretty much a waste. I I, I mean maybe maybe there is a commie message in there, but I don't see I I, I don't see commie messages in everything. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's our specialty. <laughs> uh yeah I, I think for me I think that the white settlers or the white um, buffalo hunters who just took the pelts and left the meat to rot were doing it because the pelts were more valuable because they had already had enough food um, probably already, you know, prepared for, you know, for their journey. They probably jerkied a lot of stuff. And so they were out there just to get pelts to sell, but the Lakota or Sioux, yeah, they were using the entire buffalo like you were saying, man. And I think if, if one were to look at that and go, well, one has, you know, more of a higher claim on it because they're going to use the animal more respectfully or or more fully without as much waste. And I think that almost is a little bit of um, a pseudo like environmentalist message slash egalitarian type message you know like well they deserve it more they're more deserving i think it
0: comes down to a lack of understanding of who owns what i mean the the hunters they clearly don't recognize the sioux ownership of these buffalo and the buffalo and then the sioux do they have a claim on the buffalo just because they've been is that they have they homesteaded the buffalo i mean these are nomadic people who basically follow you know the buffalo herds because they were they were essentially their life's blood that's how they survive for the most part i mean they live next to a stream you can only fish up so many fish you know they probably hunt some deer but buffalo is their main source of subsistence but they don't brand the buffalo they, they're they they do not fence in the buffalo so you know the europeans coming over to go hmm, wild buffalo whoever wants it strategy to the commons baby yeah and in in their eyes they're homesteading those buffalo that they're that they're shooting seems to be they they i mean if you were to come across you know unimproved land it's not fenced in or anything like that and you find some buffalo and you want some buffalo pelts you kill one you take its pelt you go well, good job i did a good job today i got some buffalo pelts i hunted you don't think you aggressed against anybody
1: yeah i'll, I'll bite yeah i agree i think that there is a um a misunderstanding of property rights among the different players in the movie. And I think that is basically the
2: nexus of, of most of the problems that, that we see here. I didn't see property rights in the Buffalo, but that's okay. Everybody sees everything differently. I didn't see the Sioux claiming that the Buffalo were all theirs and everything. I just saw it as, um, well, we do things one way and these people do things another way. And It's so uh, like a cultural clash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, I, I didn't go, I didn't go that... I go deep in on a lot of stuff, but I didn't go. I didn't go deep in on that one.
0: But they certainly judged the white men for acting differently. Like at one point they're talking in this tribal circle. I in, judge white men for acting differently. Well, they, they they judge. They do. They they go, well, these he's not a Sioux, So
1: that makes him less. And they say the whites are a poor race. Yeah, they say they're dirty. They can't ride. They can't shoot. They wouldn't last a winter. But they're coming, right? They're, more of them are going to come. Yeah, so these Indians are a pack of racists. Is what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, let's talk either, about the culture. Either that or they're at least elitists.
1: <laughs> um, if we could shift to the culture just a little bit more uh, and, and rope in uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit old news. It's out of the outrage, outrage cycle. But she did this uh, DNA test, and she treated it as vindication of her position, that she did have indian heritage because trump had called her pocahontas and said if you take a dna test and all this stuff well it came back and said you know hardly any right or or none at all because i think it was from south america and it was sort of a maybe but it got me thinking like okay well does blood really make you to be something or not you know is it more cultural um there was um the uh stands with a fist she Mm -hmm. was a white woman who as a child was uh, raised by the Sioux. And by all accounts, I mean, she's raised in Sioux culture. She speaks Sioux. She lives as a Sioux. I mean, she's a Sioux, but she probably has as much Sioux blood in her
2: as Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a... I remember um, one of my favorite people in the whole world, Ben Shapiro, um, being sarcastic, um, (laughs) said that... I remember one thing that he said that I actually agreed with. He said... I don't consider someone a Jew because they were born a Jew. I consider someone a Jew because they practice it said, I don't care how they were, you know, how they were, um, you know, what family they were born into. You know, I mean, I was born into uh, a Sephardic Jew family that was basically atheist. So, I mean, like no one, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit more than a half half Jewish, but I mean, I've never practiced that garbage. Um, yeah, you know, just it holds it holds no value. It holds no value to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would have to say that you know, if stands with the fist believed in the you know the culture and lived the culture. Um, She'd be more considered more of a Sioux than you know someone who was brought up a Sioux and decided to leave and go live you know the life of somebody who you know one of the one of the uh, people from the, from Europe you know live amongst the Europeans.
0: Yeah, and uh, I would say that Ten Bears would agree with you guys. I mean, at one point, at the end of the movie. He says, you know, John Dunbar doesn't exist. There's only dances of the wolves. So clearly it's not necessarily where you were born or it's how you act in the cultural, you know, observations and actions that you take.
1: Yeah, sort of the cultural norms that, that you adopt and, and live by. And uh, also related to the news cycle, I think um, Steve King, I don't know if he's a, a rep or, or something like that, but he was recently, you know, like in the election And people on the left were calling him racist because he had made some comments about where um, people were born or how they're raised. And he clarified his comments and he said, it's the culture, not the blood. If you could go anywhere in the world and adopt these little babies and put them into households that were already assimilated into America, those babies would grow up as American as any other baby born in this country. It's not about race. It's never been about race. It's a class of cultures, clash of cultures, not a race.
2: I think um, a couple of the lines that um, that Dunbar says um, that he, one of them he writes into his journal, the other one he it is just, something he says in his head later was, at one point he says, the Indians have a great pull for me that goes beyond curiosity, there's something wise about them, and I'm drawn to them in ways uh, much stronger than my obligations to the military, this is when he's still at the fort, and after he's basically gotten to the point where he can speak the language, and he's with, uh, he's what stands with a fist, he's says, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure I knew who John Dunbar was. But as I heard my Sioux name called over and over again, I knew for the first time who I really was. And I think it's, uh, I don't know, I I was like reading all these parallels on things like that, where, you know, I was pulled out of statism and just put aside calling myself an American or calling myself, uh, you know, a citizen of anything and becoming more of an individual, becoming more of an individual, because I think I don't know so much. I don't really see in the movie that Dunbar is feeling like he's, yeah, he feels like he's part of something now, but I think he also feels he feels very individual um you know like he's like he's become more of an individual and you know because you know saying that i don't know that he's trading one army for another even though he does at that one point say you know i will fight with you i think he's starting to um get some individuality about him even though now he's part of a tribe i don't know maybe i was reading maybe i read that all wrong
1: no i think that's great and and i also love their response to him like what what quarrel do you have with the pony you know it reminded me of uh, Muhammad Ali was like i i ain't got no quarrel with uh, the vietnam or the viet cong or whatever you said
2: yeah they never beat me they never yeah you know, yeah never put me in chains
1: yeah yeah exactly uh, and to your point yeah i now that you mention it i do see that a lot has a parallel to my, my own journey away from statism. Because, and Robert and I have talked about this in the past, where once you sort of take that red pill and you get out of the matrix a little bit and you start looking down the rabbit holes of uh, anarchy and libertarianism, it really does change you. And for me, I I felt like I found a calling. I found out who I really am. I kind of shed that um, NPC skin. You know, you kind of drop out of that. And uh, it also changes your life. Like your friends and your family are no longer the same anymore. You know, you got to watch what you say. And, and surviving the holidays is, is probably going to be a little bit of a challenge, I think. Uh, getting in some beef with uh, grandma and all that.
2: <laughs> all my family is pretty much gone now. So um, yeah, I don't really... It's like me and my wife and my, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law just, uh, she nods along, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I understand. I mean, um, I still get together with my brother every once in a while and I'll start going on rants about the fed or something like that. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too deep Everything I want to try and speak a language that he'll understand, you know, talk about money or something like that. And, um, yeah, I, I can always go a little too far and see, uh, <laughs> and start seeing some pushback.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I lucked out because Robert and I grew up together, uh, we're, you know, besties and he came along for the ride with me and so did my wife. So the closest
2: people to me uh, are good. Yeah. My wife has a, my wife has a libertarian podcast. My wife's a libertarian. So I don't uh And my, my I think she's uh, in the last year, she's gone over the edge from libertarianism to, to anarchy. And I think, I think dipping my toe back into the the libertarian party, actually pushed her over the edge, <laughs> <laughs> which I, um which I, i think I've grown bored of already, so um <laughs> we'll see we'll see, what yeah, happens. what
0: did end up happening with that. There was a big push there a few months ago, and then
2: crickets well, I mean what can you do the um you know my whole my whole thing with that was to um For 2020 to have a presidential candidate who can have a message, you know, like Ron Paul had in 2008 or 2012, a a radical message that would galvanize people and start a movement again. Um, I don't know that the Libertarian Party wants that. I mean, you know, like the Mises Caucus wants that. But, um, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, my wife said she wanted to go to Austin 2020 for the uh, for the convention. So we're going to do that. I'll definitely go there. Um, even if it's just to hang out in Austin because I've never been there before. But um, I mean, they, the Liberts are, you know, the whole thing is, I think for for a couple of decades now, the argument within the Libertarian Party is, do you want to put up candidates that can win or do you want to put up candidates that have a message? And my whole thing is, if you're going to put up a Libertarian, they're not going to have any chance of winning. And it's going to be all about the message. So I don't know what um, I don't know what the Libertarian Party wants. I know that there's a lot of people who've been flocking to it. And if you get enough people in there and enough delegates and everything, you can change it and at least be able to get a good get good messaging out of it, which is the only thing that I would want out of it you know like I said I don't think any I think any libertarian that could actually get elected to the Senate or Congress or um, anything like that is probably not a real libertarian, is probably not a libertarian they probably Republican light um, but you know I mean we'll see you know, I'm willing to you know I'm, I'm willing to talk about somebody who has a great message and you know promote them. And, you know, talk them up. But I mean, if they're, if they want to put up a Bill Weld or someone like that, then I don't really, then I don't care. You know I mean? Uh, then I'll, I'll openly shit on them. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'll openly shit on their candidate if they put out a candidate like they, like they have the last, what, 12, 15, 16 years.
0: Yeah. And that's what seems to happen when you don't have like a rock star like Ron Paul, you get this compromising. And you get like a Gary Johnson and the public looks at Gary Johnson and they're like, so what's the deal with you libertarians? You're fiscally conservative and socially liberal, I guess, sort
2: of, but you're kind of dumb too. So, eh." And that that actually win. And what do you guys even stand for? And that whole socially liberal and fiscally conservative is garbage anyway. I mean, we're supposed to be radicals. Yeah, we we are. We're supposed to be the radicals. So, you know, that just sounds to me like something that, you know, oh, this is what conservatives are supposed to be. It's like, well, libertarians aren't conservative. Conservative is looking backwards and saying, oh, we should go back to that. I don't want to go back to any of that. And I'm I'm looking at the future. I'm a I'm I'm a transhumanist at heart. You know, I mean, I'm I I want I think technology is going to is what's going to solve all our problems, um, you know, and changing people's minds. But I mean, I think technology can. Can really be what destroys the state obsolete it man so yeah i mean i don't know what the hell's going on with the lp all i know is that um if they put up another gary johnson or a bob Barr or someone like that you know i wish harry brown was still around or someone someone who could message like harry brown you know
1: yeah i agree i think they got to stick to principles and be a beacon yeah and and use that platform that megaphone because that's when people pay attention to stuff right or wrong you know Everyone pays attention to that big scoreboard every four years. I
2: mean, If you just sound like if you sound like the other two parties, you're just um, trying to be a little hipper or putting a guy up there who's stoned out of his gourd. And it's not really it's not really going to work. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, we also have to remember that when Ron Paul ran, he ran as a Republican. So, um, you know, he was he was on the big stage. But um, even I, I really honestly believe even a third party, someone like, a, you know, someone running as libertarian, if you got an Austrian economist in there and you know, somebody who was really well versed in you know, in Austrian economics that, um, the messaging could be the, the messaging, the messaging could get out there, especially if they can get on a couple of debate stages and people.
0: How big is the, uh, the LP with Mises Caucus? Kaki, Mises I mean, compared to like the social, socialist
2: libertarians, No, the socialist libertarians are like 25 people, the Mises caucus I and mean, the, the Mises caucus on Facebook. I mean, that group is, has over 3000 people in it.
0: Well, the libertarians put up Gary Johnson. I mean, did did Gary Johnson get votes from the Mises Caucus? I mean, clearly the, the, Mises, the, caucus Mises, caucus
2: the Mises Caucus didn't exist in 2016. Okay. The Mises Caucus, from what I understand, and I've had Michael Heiss on my um, on my podcast, um, you know, is basically a a reaction to you know your Gary Johnsons and your Bob Bars and your Bill Welds. Is you know well let's get let's get back to libertarianism. Let's get back to uh, Mises and um, and Hay- you know, Hayek and Rothbard instead of this you know for lack of a better term, Cato Reason Magazine kind of libertarians.
1: Right. And and speaking of getting back to things, we should probably get back to the movie and perhaps. Uh, we can continue this discussion in our Patreon bonus content at the end where we dive into some more of this because we only have so much time for the show and we're getting down to like the last 15-20 minutes uh, of content for the show. So if you guys want to get the Patreon bonus content, it's lastnighters.com slash Patreon. And I think where we were... Leaving off or something I wanted to bring up was the whole notion of stands with a fist. She was getting picked on by the uh, by some women in the Sioux tribe for years. And then until she stood up to them, stood up to the bully, punched him in the face and said, I'm not taking this shit anymore. Then she finally got respected and became. Part of the tribe and uh, John Dunbar, Kevin Costner, he does a similar thing where the Sioux are investigating him. They're trying to steal his horse, Cisco, and then he he gets fed up and he's like, "Well, I'm not just going to sit here and be a victim anymore. I'm going to go out to them uh, and you know bring this situation to a head. I'm not going to be in a position of weak weakness." So I thought that was a pretty decent message, and it it is echoed uh, from the very beginning on his suicide run, where he was like, "All right, I'm just going to go and take massive action." So any yeah, comments? I think, I think it's a strong strong action. I appreciated it. As a protagonist, you gotta make
0: strong choices, bold decisions. As a, an audience member, I appreciate that. In, in my protagonists, it moves the plot forward, and you can respect that character, even if it's not even a, a a decision you would make personally. It's like, well, I think if I go and do that, I'm probably gonna get murdered. Or, you know, you can still respect that uh, that decision is like, wow, that's a it's a bold move. Respect. So um, it's a bold move, Cotton.
1: Let's see if it works
0: out for him. And he knew he knew he was rolling the dice you know he could easily have gotten killed but yeah you know he put all his blues on his dress blues on and marched right into camp and it, it worked out for him that he uh, found a injured woman that he could you know bring back to them
2: yeah i think more than anything that whole situation was just move, moving the plot forward i don't know that um that a sane man would have uh would have ventured out like that but um yeah it's i don't know you know he's his character is an odd bird i mean he's not the first time we see him he's basically trying to commit suicide so um you know he seemed like as even when they were traveling when he was traveling west with his uh companion that that guy was absolutely insane (laughs) but um well, but really funny um it seemed like he was still a little bit a little bit off of his rocker and trying to get trying to get his like his land legs but um yeah i don't know that yeah, I think that was just uh as you said just moving the plot forward. It did, it didn't seem to make sense at all that you would go out and confront or, you know, seek to initiate contact with a people that you've been taught your whole life are probably, you know, bloodthirsty.
1: Yeah, I I found it believable just in in my viewing because he'd been out there for a long enough time to where he realized that no one was coming and they were the, the Sioux were approaching his fort and he was, you know, sleeping with a gun with his finger on the trigger, (laughs) which was good. Yeah. Totally crazy. But um, I can totally see somebody being like, you know what, I'm not going to just sit here and wait for something to happen. I'm going to go out and, you know, because whatever's going to happen is going to happen at this point. You know, if they have designs on attacking me, then I don't stand a chance. So I might as well be bold and see if I can make the situation better. I, I found that to be, I don't know, kind of kind of reasonable, but different strokes for different folks. I can imagine, you know, like the market. <laughs>
2: I I thought I'd throw this throw this in there just so that um, for understanding in the movie, the original battle in the beginning of the movie was in it said it was in Tennessee. Um, The historic Fort Sedgwick is in Colorado. So that was quite a trip that he made uh, when he requested to go west. He went from Tennessee all the way to Colorado. Just just FYI.
0: Yeah, it does. That is a, a serious trick. That's like what, like a month or two, probably by wagon. That's that's not a not a quick thing
2: and dangerous at that time <laughs> Let let's face it i mean there were you know he wasn't taking a train <laughs> you know, he was you know it, it was him and a sort of a lunatic who couldn't protect you know couldn't protect himself if he tried so um yeah that's right. uh, just really speaks to um the the heart of people back then who decided to go west i mean those people they would there are very few people with that kind of uh, soul anymore who would, you know, put themselves on the line to go and do something, uh, an undertaking like that, which is, you don't know if you're going to, you don't know if you're going to make it halfway there or a quarter way there.
0: Yeah. And I like the way the movie starts out with him, you know, just being fed up and going through this horror of war. And so he's just kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to go do this and come what may. It's kind of like the people that sign up to be, what is it? They become colonists on Mars, even knowing that they're never going to come back. They're just like, well, I've had enough of Earth. It's OK,
1: but not really working out for me. Let's try something else. Yeah. All right. Well, before we um, start winding this down, and there's a lot more I actually do want to talk about. I wish our show was twice as long, but there was a, a point that Costner made in one of his um non-NPC moments where he's doing internal monologue where he says it's not a fight for territory or riches or to make men free. He was talking about defending the Sioux encampment from the Pawnee attack. Uh, the Pawnee had, had attacked and Of course, they were like cops and shot all the dogs first. Uh, but he helped defend the women and children of the village. And he, he at that point finally identified as being a member of the Sioux in and of himself. Like he felt like he was part of the tribe now because he helped fend off the attack. So he felt more pride in that victory than in any previous battle that he had been in. And the point I wanted to make was just call out that this is um, continuing that narrative that the civil war was about making men free. Was it? I don't believe it
2: was. (laughs) Yeah, neither do I,
1: (laughs) but that's what you hear, right? I mean, that that's what's in the culture, what's in the history books, what's in the government education camps, the day prisons.
2: He who writes the war gets to write the history, right? He who wins the war gets to write the history.
1: That's right. Exactly.
2: So, I mean, from what I know, I know that when the railroad was being built, you know, they had to go through Indian territories and they would just, uh, from everything I've read. Now, like I said, whoever you know, history books, who the, who the hell knows if I'm going to read a history of that, I want, I'd want to read something that was written as close as possible to that time. Cause over time, the, that game of telephone with history books just changes everything. But, um, yeah, apparently they, they just didn't care. And, you know, if, if the Indian tribes didn't, didn't want it to happen, they would just, you know, destroy them or right? everything. That's the way, that's the way the story goes. But, um, you know, the, they'll tell you that, you know, well, you know, they would attack for, you know, the Indians would attack for no reason. Who the hell knows? I mean, how the hell? how do we know what happened back then you know you got someone telling a story and then you know stories change they're the people who are in charge don't care about don't care about real history i mean they they tell us that babies are being pulled out of incubators and they tell us that you know ships are being attacked and uh ships are being attacked so we need to go to war in vietnam you know i mean who the hell knows what's it's, that, that's one of my problems with history is and that's one of my problems with Well, it's not one of my problems with movies like this. I take movies like this as just complete fiction. I don't think there's you know, I don't try to put anything historic into it uh, and think that there may be anything true in it because, you know, we just don't know. know, We don't know what happened back then any more than we know anything that happened, what happened if we didn't see it with our own eyes. And even then, 20 years later, people can say something different happened than they saw it. So, you know, fuck knows, man.
0: All right, so I would like to ask Daniel a question. Daniel, so you got the Indians who are have a certain understanding of you know these people that are coming into the land, like uh, whether or not they see it as an invasion or people that are coming to just share the land, or they definitely see it as a changing of their life for good or ill. Now, we do know that capitalism creates good relations all over the place. And this movie doesn't really get into that. They get into some trading, but they don't talk about all the successful trading posts where Europeans would trade with natives and everybody was better off and everybody was happy. But if you're one of these settlers coming West and you see some open land and it sure seems to be unimproved and you go, I could build a house right here. It's right next to this little stream. It's got some lumber on there. I can cut it down and build a house and blah, blah, blah. But... And you know some natives are around, but you don't know exactly where they are. They're nomadic. They move around. Do you have some kind of obligation to seek out you know, any kind of potential people who would have a claim on that land? I mean, it certainly has, it's in your best interests to do that so that you don't have a sudden war party on your front lawn, people going, hey, you're on our land gtfo but do you would you say that the settlers had some kind of obligation to go to the natives you know try and learn the language or try and communicate in some way and negotiate some sort of a land sale or agreement of some kind what do you think about that daniel
1: well i think that's uh it's a very difficult question because there's different conceptions of property rights theory at play here right so i'm not really sure how that would play out. Um, if it looks like totally unimproved land that they've merely passed through, then perhaps they have an easement. Um, but I don't know if, if you really can lay a claim on property that you just pass through and use as your sort of hunting ground, right? It doesn't seem like to be a real quantifiable unit.
2: Rothbard said in Ethics of Liberty that any land that somebody hasn't improved upon or worked upon was fair game. You know, say so and the the example he described in, in that book was if somebody was claiming a large section of land and say that like the very outskirts of it. These people, they just claimed it. They have never touched it. They've never tilled it. They've never done anything to it. If somebody else came along and improved upon that land or changed that land in some way, that they had a higher claim to it than uh, the people who were saying that they, saying it was theirs, but had never done anything with it. So let me throw, let me throw that out there because, you know, that's, that was, that's for Murray. Okay.
0: Well, I, we usually defer to Murray on things like this. Um, the show was originally called Reed Rothbard. But it sounds like you guys are saying that the the settlers would not have any kind of particular obligation, although it may be in their best interests. Is that what you're saying, Daniel?
1: Well, it usually pays to be, you know, friendly with your neighbors and have peaceful relations. So, yeah, I would imagine that trying to establish some kind of uh, neighborly. But you wouldn't wouldn't say that the settlers were stealing land. No, no, I don't. I don't believe that would be the case.
2: I mean. I would say they were stealing land if they went into that camp and moved them off of it, and you know, physically moved them off of the where where they were on right now. You know, I mean, even right. if even if they're nomadic, it, well, then just wait for them to leave. I mean, to go in and make a claim of land that people are using at that point doesn't make that. I think that's wrong. Um, if they leave, of course, you know, different story. But, you know, it, it really it does make sense that if you were going to be living in the proximity of somebody that you tried to reach out and do the best you can to say, hey, look, I'm going to be living over here. And, um, you know, my whole my whole li- my my, cl- my line is um, you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone if you need help. Ask. And I think that's a good that's a good communication. And also, you know, you can find out if there is somebody who's actually using that land or if they have something buried there or something like that. I think you would I think it would it would just make sense to do. Yeah, right?
0: I think I think people generally don't want to fuck other people's shit up. And, you know, it behooves them to go around and ask, hey, am I fucking up your shit shit right now? Am I? I don't know.
1: All right. So uh, there's there's a point in the movie where during the buffalo hunt, Costner loses his hat. (laughs) And one of the uh, one of the Indian guys finds it and he puts it on. He's like my hat now. And they're sitting around the, the powwow and Costner wants his hat back. And he's like, no, I found this on the ground. He left it. He clearly didn't want it anymore. When it's obvious, of course, that it fell off because he was, you know, in the midst of doing something else. And he's now asking for his hat back. And that kind of resolved it. But I'm wondering if, you know, the point that you just made, Robert, about um, whether there's any claim to the land that they're passing through, if Perhaps the hat is an allegory for that. Like, well, the hat fell off. Therefore, anyone who finds the hat can now have it. And I wonder if Costner in in the film is, in making of the film, is saying that's what happened with the land. Well, the Indians aren't on it at this moment, so. But the yet w- they still claimed an ownership. Right, yeah. So it's inconsistent,
0: at least, or not a fully formed philosophy on property
2: ownership for the Lakota. I think that was just part of the plot to create um, to create tension amongst a people uh, amongst somebody who is really not familiar with these people yet, and um, to see how they would interpersonally deal with. A disagreement in something like that.
1: Mm, interesting. Yeah, there was a lot of trading going on um, between them, between Costner and the Sioux, you know, throughout the movie. And one of the key ones that I wanted to mention, and we we really unfortunately need to start winding this down, okay. was when he was asking uh, to get married to stand with a fist, and all of these people in the in the tribe, um, because their custom was that a bit of a dowry needs to be offered, and so they were donating things to him. And then it was all amassed. And then the uh, quote was, if it's gone in the morning, that means they've accepted your offer. They've accepted the trade. And there's a lecture by um, Robert Lefebvre about money and the origin of money. And he actually talks about this, where this was how tribes would barter with each other. They would put out a quantity of goods, an assortment of goods. And the other tribe the next day would know if the trade was accepted if the if the goods were now gone and if it was still there then it wasn't something they wanted or it wasn't enough or something along those lines so i'll post that in our show notes page because it's it's kind of an interesting thing to see the uh the origins of that and to see that kind of called out in the movie is kind of fun
2: that wasn't in your cut was it robert
1: uh no it
0: wasn't you're right that they just all of a sudden got married as soon as kicking bird hit it said was hey you're done morning and then they got married and then that was it and then yeah. went
2: thing yeah that's not in the theatrical that's in the extended cut yeah because i remember yeah i remember watching it this time and i've watched a four hour before um but it's been a while and i remember watching it this time i was actually watching that today and i'm like oh yeah that's right they did this it didn't make any it didn't make any sense to me it, i, I like the um it one part where he questions it and he's like are they fucking with me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and you're right That's the call back to the humor you were
1: you were talking about because he was joking around with these guys uh, a fair amount once he got you know cordial with
2: them. Well there was even I mean there, there was a lot of humor in it you know like um when he would when he when one party would come in when they were first communicating um uh kicking bird and um and winds in his hair would come up there but they'd leave a couple guys back and he'd always wave to them, and they'd never Mm -hmm. wave back and then at one point he waves to him and one guy waves and then like the rest of the guys just look at the one guy who's (laughs) waving like what are you doing (laughs) all that kind of there's so much understated humor in that and just um Especially like um when he's trying to communicate buffalo to him, and wind in his hair goes, his mind is gone. <laughs> <laughs> there's just like there's like all these great lines that the uh, that the Sioux throw throw out there, and um, I can see why a lot of. I've I've come to realize that a lot of people do not like uh movies with uh subtitles and mm-hmm. I like I love movies. I love movies with subtitles. My favorite TV shows are all foreign so I like watch all these TV shows out of Sweden and Denmark and everything so subtitles are like their food to me man. I can sit there and watch subtitle movies all the time. <laughs> yeah,
1: we got them on for the kids, you know, so they can learn how to read. <laughs>
2: That's that's I mean, I've spent time in other countries and um, watching American movies with the subtitles in their language has helped me pick up a lot of a lot of words in uh, other languages.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a modern marvel of of the uh, of the market. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we wind down and, and we can get in any last points that you guys have, but I want to not let the Union soldiers off on shooting Cisco, killing his horse and shooting the wolf. Cause that was some dastardly shit right there.
2: I, I couldn't handle that, man. I can never watch that. I can, I, I can never watch him shooting two socks. It drives me fucking crazy, man.
0: Yeah, and did the uh, U.S. military have just like a shoot on site policy for anybody, any
2: natives? Because he just walks into, you know, he kind of like rides up into camp and they just like open fire on him. Uh, I'm per- from everything that I've read, and especially. Uh, most of the stuff that I've read about um, rules of engagement had to do with the railroad, uh, the building of the railroad. And from what I understand, yeah, it was very shoot on site.
0: Well, that's not a good way to establish good relations. <laughs> Can't really communicate
2: too well when the other guy's dead. Well, and you know, and you can argue that... The Europeans understand property rights so much more than these these savages do, but they're they really don't understand the non-aggression principle at all, apparently. Yeah. So, I mean, if they don't understand the non-aggression principle, how good are they on property rights?
1: Yeah, it's like each side had one half of that equation and libertarianism libertarianism brings it all together. Both sides.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Any last points before we wind down? And then Mance will give you a chance at the end to uh, throw out your URLs and where people can find and follow your work because you do great stuff, man.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it, brother.
1: I mean, we could get into various things,
0: but I, you know, we we hit the main points. So I'm I'm pretty happy with what we talked about.
2: I almost get the idea that Robert doesn't like the movie.
0: I'm going to give a positive review. I was tearing up at the end and that surprised me because this is like a long kind of drawn out movie, a movie that I'd seen before, but You know, when he was deciding to leave the camp and leave the tribe and, uh, you know, wind in his hairs, like saying, I will always be your friend. That really got me. That was really hardcore stuff. And I was, yeah, I was tearing up really, really good. So I I left with a very positive impression. But I'm wondering if any part of the movie dragged for you guys since you had an extra hour. I thought the movie was still pretty too long at three hours but at four hours i can only imagine unless there's a bunch of gold in there that really helps the time jump by Well, we just told you all about all that gold that you missed out on
2: and everything you said was like yeah i could see why it was cut well, i don't the the three hour version the one that you watched robert i mean i just to me that's it's some of the best cinema i've ever watched because it's i love westerns um i love you know there's a love story in there there's a friendship like you said when 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 wind in his hair is screaming that at the ending you you have to be the most hard-hearted motherfucker not to like you know at least be choking up you know if not you know if not tearing up a little bit because um you know i mean winds in his hair hated him at the beginning you know just hated this guy at the beginning and then they became really really good they became best friends um I think it's just one of those movies that I I think was pretty, as far as the three hour version goes, I mean, a lot of the stuff in the, you know, like the, the whole dowry thing, I mean, that was pointless to me. Um, But the three hour version is as perfect the movie is just because it has that kind of hero's journey, that kind of thing that Joseph Campbell would have wrote about in his, in his books. And the, I love the understated humor of it. I'm always, the movie always makes me laugh, always makes me chuckle. I mean, it's a, I'm not getting belly laughs. I mean, there's a couple points where where I think there are some really funny lines in it. But um, I just think, I think it's really entertaining. I think it's entertaining. And I think, I like um, I like seeing movies about different cultures. And you know, that's a culture that's pretty much just, it's been lost to history. It's, I mean, I know it still exists, but I mean, it exists in basically, you know, pr- concentration camps in our country
1: yeah unfortunately now man we usually do a final submarine review at the end but i feel like you kind of just did one and feel free to add to it and then give a um, out of 10 rating, go a decimal point deep, if you would.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I just I think everyone should check out the movie at least once. And I think if people really like the movie, they'll watch it another. They'll, they'll definitely watch it again. I mean, I've mean, i probably seen the movie six, seven times, eight times over the years. Um, I, I really think it's like a nine and a half. And the only reason I wouldn't give it a 10 out of 10 is there's just little, little things things that annoy the hell out of me like um stands with the fist hair and uh (laughs) and the fact that um graham green who plays kicking bird is like the least native american looking native american in this movie (laughs) he's like you know everyone else is like so um all the actors they got were so obvious, look so obvious, like they could have just went to reservations and gotten these people. But Graham green has been in so many damn movies. It's like, I couldn't take him seriously. You know, he's been in so many straight movies playing, you know, just like playing white, you know, like a regular westerner kind of, you know, almost like a white dude that it's like, I'm just looking at him. I'm gone. Oh, man, they could have got someone else to do this. So yeah, there's just a couple, um, there's a couple things. The, the length of the movie doesn't bother me at all. I don't have any problems with long movies. Um, it doesn't feel like three hours to me when I watch it. And another movie that's like almost three hours long. that's it's the same as like heat. You know, when I watch heat, it doesn't seem three hours long to me. It just, se- it seems like it goes by really quick. And yeah, this movie goes by really quick for me, but I can see how for a lot of people it wouldn't go by very quick.
1: All right. Very good. Well, Robert, uh, you are, you are on the floor. All right.
2: Well, I actually really did enjoy
0: this movie. This is my like third or fourth time watching it of all time. And um, this is the first time, though, that I really analyzed it with my libertarian brain. And, of course, my libertarian brain really honed in on the whole property rights issue. I mean, almost all conflicts outside of like romances and that sort of thing are property-based. Misunderstandings or property violations. And you really see that with this class of cultures in this movie where you got these Westerners with their understanding of property rights and the natives with their understanding of property rights and the lack of communication and really is on display. And that's the source of the the conflict. And I think it does a really good job of showing that. And um, as far as like the movie is concerned, I thought the acting was all really well done. Um, I'm not the hugest Kevin Costner fan. I don't think he's the best actor in the world, but he's solid. I can't complain about it too much. And, uh, you know, you really got to admire his his gusto. You know, he, he's like, I'm going to make a four hour movie and I'm going to put it out. And uh, yeah, I'm Kevin Costner. You know, what's up? And he's going to spend a ton of money. And, you know, he's like kind of like the James Cameron of his time where he's just like, I got a vision for a movie I want to make, a story I want to tell. And I'm going to do it the best I can. And if you're down with that and you want to check it out, cool. If you're not, well, you can hit the bricks. I don't care. And I got to I gotta respect that a lot. So uh, this movie, I'm going to give it a positive review, not not up to the level of Mance's 9.5. But I would say that this is a movie that everybody should check out. Um, I know we didn't get into the like the Trail of Tears and the horrific treatment of the natives by the American government, but uh, that could be a, a topic for an extra episode or another episode. But I'm going to give this movie a uh, 8.0, a flat eight. It's really strong. There's not a lot of issues other than I'm going to reiterate what Man said about stands with fist hair. It made zero sense. She should have tied it back into a. A braid like every other lakota woman it didn't make any sense for her to have like clan of the cave bear hair that just was wild and frizzy i i didn't understand it i mean i I think you can trust your audience enough to pick her out of a crowd i don't know but uh yeah good movie check it out Uh, a lot of interesting themes to discuss and uh daniel what do do you think
1: well what can i say that could top all of that but uh other than I found this movie to be very well done. I was completely transported into the story and the beautiful scenery. The cinematography was, was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed kind of just, I viewed it sort of as, and I know Vance, you were saying, you know, you got to look at this thing and and not take it as history, but I kind of viewed it as maybe a, a view into the past and took it a little bit as that. Now, you know, of course it's gonna have a lot of creative license, but I, I think that it is like a time capsule piece, and I think it was actually put into the uh, Smithsonian or the archives of the U.S. Congress or something like that. Whatever, whatever that status thing that they do with culturally important films. So it's in there. It's in there. Uh, but yeah, I, this was a, a great movie. I'm glad I watched it, and I'm glad that I watched the longer cut, the the bigger version, longer and uncut. Uh, whatever they say in South Park that in that movie. Uh, and I'm going to go with an 8.7 on this thing. Um, I, I highly recommend it. Totally suggest that people do watch this. And uh, there we go. So Kevin Costner, Dances with Wolves. Great movie. So you heard it here, folks. So next week, I think we're going to come at you guys with another Tom Cruise movie. Oh, American yeah. Maid. Uh, Robert, you saw that recently and thought there was a lot of good stuff. And I still got my HBO free trial. So I think I'm going to check that out. And we will do that as the next episode. So Tom Cruise, American Made excellent yeah it's
0: good 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 flick a lot of stuff in there a lot of meat uh, it's also a movie that would benefit from us doing some research and history because it kind of glosses over some things but i don't know i don't know <laughs> well it is us so
1: i don't i don't totally expect us to be totally prepared but i think we'll still have a good discussion because that's what we do here yeah baby and uh mance why don't you throw out your handle and uh websites and all that where can people find your stuff and uh we really appreciate
2: having you on i'm the host of the free man beyond the wall podcast um any of your podcast catchers will get it itunes stitcher podcast attic will get it anything um the um my patreon is patreon.com forward slash mance raider check it out there's a lot of uh I'm doing ask me any things. I did one with Scott Horton where everybody got to every question that somebody asked, got answered. We're doing one on Monday night with a lobbyist, uh, a DC lobbyist, where you're going to be able to ask him anything. And he says he will answer any question that will not reveal his identity because he will be, uh, he will be undercover because he, if he reveals where he works, it'll be obvious who he is. Um, so yeah, I got that Patreon going. I got it going three weeks ago and we're having a lot of fun uh, just interacting and you know you can follow me on social media twitter uh at mn rothbard uh but i'm really starting to get uh Tr- try to transfer everything over to minds.com where I'm at Mance Rater 12. I've been verified on minds. So, um, yeah, I like that because Twitter, even though I've had to prove my identity again and again on Twitter for certain things, they won't, they won't verify me. And, uh, Facebook won't verify me. So, um, minds has, you know, block is blockchain technology, the Ethereum network. And, um, I think they're, they're doing great things. So I try to post as much as I can on, uh, on social media, especially memes. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Check out the podcast. Remember Beyond on the wall. I think you will like it. I interview I've interviewed everybody from Ron Paul to a communist. So yeah, it's try to try to get a little a bit for a little bit of everything going in there.
0: That is the full spectrum. Yeah. And I, I would like to also recommend uh Mance's Twitter feed. It is one of the most hilarious doses of reality, I found. I don't know if there's a funnier Twitter account than Mance's. So I I need to thank him for that. All the the laughs I've gotten
2: checking that out. You're welcome. I mean, I just, I, I don't think people realize that like, People think, oh, he just throws all these political memes up there. Not even half of the stuff I throw up there is political. And most of the stuff I, I throw up there is just to get a rise out of people to see to see people's reactions. I mean, that's the that's the best part. I mean, there's a guy right now who's basically calling anybody who's not a, a democratic socialist, a fascist. And he's like attacking everybody on my timeline right now. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there, there's fun to be had on Twitter.
1: All right. Well, hey, thank you again, Mance. And uh, I think we're going to wind down the Last Nighter show. So everyone check us out at lastnighters.com uh, slash Patreon to support us and dot com slash 45 for the show notes and more for Dances with Wolves. Thank you so much for joining us, Mance. And here is our outro music. Say goodnight from last night. All right, we'll continue for a few more minutes with our actual Anarchy audience. Thank you guys for sticking with us for an extra long episode so far. We might do a little bit of Kathleen Turner overdrive if Mance can uh, stick around a little bit longer afterwards. Uh, One of the questions we like to ask, Mance, uh, of our guests or of our of each other, Robert and I, is could this movie be made today? Because I can just see howls of cultural appropriation, wearing feathers in the hair and and the whole, you know, whatever else is offensive these days. You can't wear uh, certain costumes and all that during Halloween. Uh, and you, if I recall, you grew up in and around New York City, right? Correct. And I'm sure you're familiar with Williamsburg, the uh, yeah. cultural mecca of Ugg boots and feathers in hair. By, by... I, was just, I
2: was just up there a couple of weeks, a couple months ago.
1: Yeah. So, so do you think the kids today would um, still be able to do that kind of thing, wear the the feathers in the hair, or would they get shouted down with cultural appropriation and be called a fascist? Uh, or right. uh,
2: I mean, I depend, it depends who it is. I mean, if, if Elizabeth Warren wants to wear feathers in her hair, no one's going to care. Um, I don't know, man. I think, I think the thing that would prevent this movie from getting made nowadays is the fact that it's three hours long. I mean, I just don't I don't know that people have the attention span anymore to deal with the deal with a, a movie that's over two hours unless it's a unless it's a comic book movie and even then when a comic book movie goes too long you start seeing people complain so but as far as the cultural appropriation goes probably I mean god man they're just they ruin everything they're so awful I mean it's just oh I mean, it's Halloween when I was growing up was just all about cultural appropriation. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, the Indian was, I guess, Indian was probably still one of the most uh, one of the most popular costumes.
1: Yeah. Costume, uh, in Cowboys and Indians. Um, I think a few years ago, some actress got in trouble for going as cowboy and Indian with her boyfriend. And uh, just this last year or, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sean White, the snowboarder got in trouble for wearing an insensitive costume it was uh, the guy from tropic thunder i think the the retarded guy and i guess you're not even supposed to say the r word so you know i'm but, probably now a fascist well that's retarded so <laughs> <laughs> so robert robert your thoughts um because i know that there are some youtube videos where they'll show uh, a, a millennial type person a movie from in the past what do you think their reaction would be to watching dances with wolves if you could get them to sit down and pay attention for to anything for more than five minutes Well, yeah, I think they might get
0: upset about the depiction of natives being racists. Um, I think it's funny about the cultural appropriation thing is is the people that get upset about that are always, they always assume the worst about other people. It's like they never assume the worst about themselves. It's like, well, when I do it, it's it's honorable, it's it's reverent. I'm honoring these cultures. But when they see anybody else doing anything, they're like, this is a terrible person, you need to stop this and apologize. I find this offensive, no matter the intentions. So like the context doesn't matter. It's just that and then the important thing. And then if you counter them with facts, then you're not being sensitive to their feelings and their feelings were hurt. And the the fact is that you offended them and their feelings were hurt. And that's what you did wrong. Not that you dressed up like a native American or anything. It's just that you attacked them and their feelings and their feelings can't be wrong by definition. It's their subjective experience. So you're just a bad person. It's, it's, it's a, it's a fun way to always be right. And it's really annoying.
1: Right. Yeah. Run uh, outrage.exe. Right. That's how that works. (laughs) Right. All right, well, uh, that uh, is probably the the point I want to leave us on, on this actual Anarchy episode. Uh, I know that uh, we've gone a little bit long, so thank you guys for sticking with us for this episode 102 with the great Mance Raider of the free man beyond the wall. And if you want to support us on Patreon, I'll throw that back at you actualanarchy.com slash patreon show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 102 and we will get into a little bit of a kathleen turner overdrive which is one of the patreon bonuses so thank you guys and uh have a good night for me uh manson and robert feel free to say good night to the audience and then we'll get into the overdrive
2: good night audience good night thanks for listening